Today's show is brought to you by Vinyl Me, please. Join the Record of the Month Club at www.joinvmp.com forward slash holybackboard. You are listening to the Holy Backboard on the Sage Digital and Nothing But Net Networks. For more on your trailblazers, go to iTunes, search the Holy Backboard, and subscribe today. Let's go! All right, everybody, welcome to the 140th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in Rip City, and I got my man. Sage, 140 episodes of this show, bro. That's pretty impressive, man. High five to us. Dude, seriously, bro, that's crazy, because honestly, I I think we've only missed one, two weeks. When did this show start? Like four years ago? 15, 16, that season? It's 2009 now, bro. 2019. Oh, shit. Yeah, you're right. 2019, <laughs> yeah. Man, uh, like, that's pretty impressive to only miss, like, two weeks in four years. That's fucking excellent. So, 140 episodes, that's pretty special, man. Blazers are playing pretty special right now, too. Uh, you look at the team... 36 and 23 they're winners of of three straight they are in fourth out west just two games behind the thunder for third and two games ahead of the rockets uh for fourth and sage they kicked off their seven game road trip with with two wins pretty convincingly against the Brooklyn Nets, 113-99 on Thursday, and then an impressive 130-115 drubbing of the Philadelphia 76ers Saturday morning game, which the score wasn't indicative as to how lopsided that one was. Obviously, there is a lot to talk about this episode. This week saw Ennis Cantor's debut with the Portland Trailblazers. We have also seen just the impact that the Blazers now have with um, with a strong bench. Uh, Damian Lillard played very poorly, I would say, in both of those two games, yet the Blazers were able to win in double digits both times on the road. They were just 10 and 15 on the road before heading out on this seven-game road trip. And all of a sudden, shout out Mike Barrett, the Blazers are looking like a team that can win when their star player doesn't have his best. And that is the the difference. If you want to compare the 2018 Blazers versus the 2019 Blazers, that's the difference right there. It's that bench. When Portland went on that 13-game win streak, Dame went into God mode. He did play like an MVP candidate. He was a first-team All-NBA player. I mean, we all saw what he did against Phoenix. All saw what he did against the Lakers. And he just played at a level that... We hadn't quite seen before, and no offense to to Dame, who I still think is the best point guard in the league, that type of play just isn't sustainable. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's very hard to do for a continued amount of time. And then obviously he had the personal side where he was welcoming his first child in, into the world. And so you can't underestimate that impact enough. That is more important than basketball. So obviously – the basketball took a back seat. Not saying that's why the Blazers lost, but that that th- those were two major reasons why the Blazers had such a successful season. 
last year. And now you look, okay, we now have Rodney Hood coming off the bench who is able to hit the three. He's able to post up. He's able just to hit those jumpers that, that stop runs. You know, they stop the bleeding. And now Ennis Cantor, uh, I can't, you know, say enough, but I, I've been so incredibly impressed. It, it's just, it, it's nice to have a, a bench unit and, you know, to me, on paper, and yes, we only have two games under our belt, but to me, this feels like the most talented Blazers roster we have had since that 12-deep team with Rashid, Bonzi, Pippen, mm. Sabonis, etc. This team, on paper, feels better than the 2009 Blazers with Roy Aldridge, and it feels better than the 2014 Blazers that, that upended the Rockets because that team was extremely top-heavy. This team... 1 through 12, feels like they're starting to to put together something special. And yes, small sample size, but I think there there's reason for optimism in, in Rip City. It, it's just impressive to see the team, first unit and second unit, having really good players playing their roles. I mean, that first game, we played against the Brooklyn Nets, who are the worst one of the worst uh teams at defending bigs and it was Nurk and then Enos just opposing their will on these this small team and we saw it the entire game it was the domination from front to back where our bigs just got just beasted like and then the second game man like apologies to Evan Turner but our bench looks so fluid and fantastic and oh, it, I'm looking at a, a website called pop, popcornmachine.net, which is a uh, it tracks game flow and shows like who's in at certain times and what happens. And it our four bench players with CJ or Dame just killed it in those in those runs when it was four and one. Like our rotations have been really solid these last two games. Enos yeah. Enos is I- looking fantastic and. I'm fine with Layman at the four. It sucks that Zach doesn't get really any time, but like Layman's been killing it in this role. Like he's he's going after boards. Like against that Sixers team, he was in there mixing it up, hustling very hard. You know, I, I would say I have been very impressed with the rotations. That's one of my main critiques of of Coach Stotts. And you know, it, it it's not fair to Evan Turner that he's hurt, but I, I think the rotation did need one fewer players out there at, at, at Terry's d- disposal because now you're getting Jake the minutes he deserves. Now you're getting, you know, a lot more run with, with Dame leading a unit and CJ leading a unit. I think staggering them is the right way to go. It just further cements, um, I, I would say, a little more credibility and security on on that unit and if Maurice Harkless I think that's another player we need to talk about if Maurice Harkless is going to continue to play the way he has been you know he's finally healthy knock on wood he's not resting on back-to-back games he is now deserving of 22 to 25 minutes a night and I don't think you can take him out out of the rotation right now because if you look at him against the Brooklyn Nets you know, he was a plus 32. He had 13 points, eight rebounds, four assists, one block. He, he was really all over the place. And I thought he was even better against Philadelphia. Really, 
made Philly pay for having J.J. Redick on the court. Again, plus 22, 13 points, 6 of 9 from the field. Hit is only 3, but again, filled up that stat sheet. Two blocks, three steals, two assists, five rebounds, a couple of poster jams. Playing with that aggressive nature that we have been yearning for here in the Rose City. And if he's going to play like that, somebody else's minutes are going to have to get cut. So it's either going to have to be Seth Curry or it's going to have to be Evan Turner a little bit. But Mo is proving his worth right now. And he gives us that added dimension because when we were struggling, he and Chief just were not playing well together. And I think we have seen Al Farouk Aminu kind of evolve with with this roster, I would say, over the course of the last you know, a few, few weeks when the Blazers are playing well, he's picking and choosing his his shots. He only took six against Brooklyn, hit four. He only took nine against Philly. He's hitting five. He is limiting the amount of threes he's taking, which is a huge blessing if you're a Blazer fan, because Chief is a good three point shooter and small doses. And if he has it going, you feed him. But there have been too many times, as we saw last year, when that was all our offense was. It was our bailout, and it was, okay, Chief, you're shooting this three because other teams are are doubling Dame. He was three for four against Brooklyn, 0 for two against Philly. And what I loved about his game against Philly was the fact that he didn't just camp out around that three-point line. He was cutting, moving without the basketball. He made great decisions in the open court. That lob to Jake was just fantastic. Um, Chief and small doses on the offensive end is exactly what this team needs. This team needs to go through Nurk, go through Cantor, Dame CJ, always Jake and Mo around the basket. Like I feel like players are starting to find their niche and it's coming together a lot better than it was, you know, even just a week ago after those back-to-back road losses. That big that can get buckets and rebound is really giving the wing players a lot of life. And uh, one thing I noticed uh, looking at the Sixers game, no player played over 35 minutes in that game. So everybody got their share. Even Scal, Gary, and Zach got three minutes at the end but like the rotations were pretty even across the board like dame and cj were the of course the highest highest minutes but it's like then everybody's in mid-20s that's if we're dominating like that that's beautiful and of course she'll um beads out but like we took advantage of the team that was there exactly and they still have three all nba caliber players and Dame, yeah, I don't think Dame or Nurk played a minute in, in that fourth quarter, which is simply incredible. But I want to go back to Cantor just because that is the addition that is the most recent. I think that is the addition that has been the most impactful. Uh, we watched that game against Brooklyn in his debut, 18 and 9, 8 of 9 from the field in just 20 minutes of action really felt like he he was a catalyst in getting that lead up to 15 mm-hmm. nearing the fourth quarter. Obviously, the the Nets put a scare in us before the the starters, Dame, you know, and Chief really led us home. Especially Nurkish, you know, how can I forget that 27 and 12? But then we go to Philly, and 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 you're right. I I, I watched that game, and it looks like. 
you know, it's going to be a classic back and forth game. But when he's in the game, we know where our offense is coming from. Mm-hmm. We know what we're running. Everything is predicated around posting up NS Cantor. They did not have a big that could handle him. And yes, he he shoots six of 14. Not not the best, not the best for, for a seven foot big, but he got to the line five times hit four of them, still got 16 points, still pulled down eight boards, had four assists, which shows he's unselfish if they throw the double or he has a mismatch. And even though he was 6 of 14, the shot selection, which I think is so critical with the second unit, was beautiful. I mean, how many times have we seen the second unit give up a lead or just go through dry spells? You know, the Dallas game that that fourth quarter Mm -hmm. was, you know, Exhibit A uh, of the well really drying up. If we had cancer, we're not losing that game just because, like you said, we're getting those those offensive rebounds, those Kobe assists. Like we have been missing that. That's that was the huge rallying cry for this team last year with Ed Davis. What did you say all season long, Sage? The Blazers won games last year because they simply out rebounded opponents and got second chance opportunities. They had they did that in spades in Philly. I think they out rebounded them by. 20, 25 boards. And that is a testament of the Blazers really going out and and finding a guy like Cantor whose bread and butter is buckets and boards. So what did you think about him on the defensive end? I mean, to to me, I'll take that trade-off. I wasn't as discouraged as... Many may have led me to believe. I know that's never been his strong suit, but he puts in effort. He he's just not he's not the best he, defender. Like, yeah, he's that, not he's not skilled. That's what a role player is, though. Absolutely, they, they're a specialized player. He specializes in rebounding and scoring in the paint. You know, and he's a lead at that defender. If he was a great defender, Sage, he'd be getting paid. You know, the max money next year. Yeah. He'd be a starting center. Like th- he's an offensive minded player, and that's exactly what we needed. Yeah, it's. Watching him defensively makes me think that Nurk has his thirty minutes every game because we need that de- we need the anchor every. S- but I love what Enos does offensively. It's just I think there's going to be a few games where you play against a smart team that just pick and rolls him to death, but you have to take it because what Enos does offensively kind of makes up for the fact that we're going to give up points on the pick and roll. To that point, he's a bench player. So most of the time he's going up against reserves. So those Mm -hmm. reserves, I would say, aren't as prolific at executing that pick and roll or making him pay for being a subpar defender. So I think that's why this marriage works so well, because he's so much bigger and stronger and skilled than backup bigs. Mm And he's his you know deficiencies on the defensive end aren't being exploited as they probably would be if he were were a starter. So that's really you know yes, been two games. I think Portland needs to figure out a way to keep him if this continues because we look at the Brooklyn game. You said it. Yusuf Nurkic was going to get biz. He and Cantor combined for forty five points and twenty one rebounds and three blocks against Philadelphia. Basically, same story. 40 points, 18 boards, 8 assists between the two. Oh, I mean, who's got a roster that could contain both of them for 48 plus? Or 48, yeah. And, you know, I tweeted out, like, 
the small ball generation is not ready for the Blazers bully ball. Like yeah. everyone has evolved into what the Warriors are. There's still room for traditional bruisers to get it done, especially Nurk, who is who is so agile around the rim. And I have just been so impressed at how the defense has really taken away that lob, you know, that they mm. really backed off after that Utah game in Utah when he just obliterated Rudy Gobert and sliced and diced them, especially to Jake Lehman over the top. You know, teams backed away from him. He has done a lot better job of not forcing that pass in hitting a couple mid-range shots. That's going to be, I think, one of the major underrated keys that I don't think a lot of people are going to talk about, but it's going to make a difference. It can Yusuf Nurkic hit a couple of mid-range jumpers to loosen up that defense. Yeah, make them honest. I remember in the first half, and this... Obviously, I knew Nurkic was going to dominate. The Nets give up like 26 points and 15-plus rebounds to every center they place. So I put him on Daily Fantasy. There was a time in the second quarter on his uh, second stint where he was passing it, trying to fit fit that pass into it. But after the half, I didn't see it one time. So I think maybe one of the players or coaches told him, this team isn't going to stop you. Just get in the post and dominate. Because you saw it like in the first quarter, like he did a spin off of uh, Jarrett Allen and got to the rim easy. And you saw his face on the run back. Like he was shocked at how easy that shit was. And then the second quarter, he was like trying to fit it in. And then the third quarter, I was like, fuck that shit. Let me get mine. And I mean, who the fuck is going to stop a guy that's seven feet, 300 pounds, that's skillful around the basket? Not Ben fucking Simmons. People aren't made like that. People aren't made to defend that well. And when he when he gets his mind right, yo, he can be fantastic. Because there ain't like in the playoffs, there isn't gonna be a guy that can stop Cantor and Nurk for forty eight. But my question is, is Cantor gonna be a playoff guy? And what I mean by that is his because rotations get shorter. Is he going to get taken advantage of with his lack of lateral quickness on the pick and roll when the rotations are shorter? Because I totally agree with you that in regular season, there isn't many people that can stop him. But any team really would take advantage of the fact that he can't uh, extend on the pick and roll defense. Do you think he's a playoff guy? I think if he wants to impress those GMs, this upcoming free agency, he absolutely will be. Um, I also think that if Portland finds the money, he may give us a discount because something that I've been monitoring and it's pretty not funny, but I would say a testament to the culture that we have bought into in Portland. And the reason we have wanted to go after guys with one year left on their deals is you look at a guy like Ennis Cantor or Rodney Hood, and they're not really posting much on Instagram or Twitter. It doesn't seem like they're having fun. They get traded to Portland. They're getting tagged by their teammates. And this is like, this is what winning feels like. Like him and Zach Collins going back and forth in the comments, just like having a good time. I, I think honestly, everyone in the NBA is so fucking talented. It, it's really all mental. And are you having, are you having fun out there? Do you have confidence in, in your abilities? Do you, do you feel like that your teammates are really there to support you? And that is the culture that Portland has had, regardless of 
of any playoff successes or failures. Like at the bottom, at the end of the day, the least you could say is the Blazers culture is one that I think it is to be replicated and to be copied if you're looking to start from scratch. And so where I'm going with this is no Cantor is not a great defender, but his teammates are there to build him up. His teammates have his back. His teammates are, are now cheering for him. Like I, I tweeted, you know, Big shout out to, to Myers and Zach because they are two of the first Blazers to get up off the bench to cheer when something goes well. And they are the ones directly impacted by the signing. They are seeing their minutes cut. But you can tell there's just a, posit- a positivity around the team and the players right now. And, yeah, there's going to be a game, a game or two in the postseason where, where Cantor is just not going to get it done. And you may have to go to a smaller unit. But there's also going to be a game or two where he wins us a game. And so I think you, when you're looking at a bench player, you have to take that trade off 10 times out of 10. And I think it's all going to be matchup based. Um, Zach might so, be the hero in a playoff series because of how good he is defensively and how he can switch. And I think that's the, the beauty of this roster now is if you get a good matchup and you need buckets, give it to Cantor. If you feel like you're getting beat on a pick and roll, bring, bring in Zach Collins. If you feel like, um, Ennis doesn't have it and you need to open up the defense. Myers can now come in. He's shown time after time he can hit the three cold off the bench. So Terry has weapons at his dispersal to use based upon playoff matchups. But um, I think of all those, you still want Ennis Cantor out there. Um, he, he is agile. I, I do think when you get in the postseason, there's just something, whether it's extra adrenaline, you know, more of a desire. You just put forth a better effort on the defensive end because, you know, this is what you, this is what you play for. Mm. Um, And I don't think he's going to play. He might get like 14 minutes. Cause I, I, yo, we, we are extending the play. We're extending our best players minutes. So he's not going to get as much, but there might be 10 minutes where it's just rough for us. I would love to see, and I know I don't think we'll see it just because of everybody deserving minutes, but I would love to see what Zach Collins and Enos can do as the 4-5. Because if Zach's there to clean up the mess for Enos, that could be a really nice marriage of two bigs. But, you know, Hood's playing very well. Layman's doing fantastic. So it's going to be tough to work in those minutes for those two to play in actual games. But, man, it would be so interesting to see what we could do with you know, a, a Dame, Hood, Layman, Zach, and Enos lineup. You know, and, and you said that. There's ways around that. Teams for years have, have hid poor defenders yeah, on one, the court. Yeah, one. One, yeah. yeah, yeah but I, all. Of all of the Blazers, though, who would you say are you really worried about? CJ. I mean, obviously, Dame CJ. and CJ combined because of their height. But you're not worried about Chief. You're not worried about Mo. You're not worried about Nurk. You know, you're not really too worried about Rodney. Um, Jake, depending on the matchup, and then possibly Ennis. So there's not a lot of holes where you're like, oh shit, like they could they could sink our ship any which way they want to. I'm gonna hold out judgment on Rodney Hood's defense because he's been pretty dog shit his career. He has been putting in forth the effort, which I like. But there was a reason that Luka Doncic won that game against us, and it was Rodney Hood's defense. But it has been, he's tr- he has put in the effort. 
which is something I better. Would say that's the reason we lost the Dallas game. I would say scoring what nine points in the fourth quarter was the reason we lost that game. Luca is Luca makes everyone silly. Luca's a bad motherfucker, but uh, I I will still hold out on Rodney Hood's defense. But I get your point. I'm not calling him an all-world defender, but I like the effort he makes, and sometimes that's all it takes. Yeah. So what do you make between so my favorite thing that happened over the weekend? was Ben Simmons goes to the line. Shouldn't have been a foul. It was. Misses the first free throw. All of a sudden, you hear Nurk yell, hell no. And then Ben Simmons responds back, you talk a lot of trash for being someone so ass. And not only did Nurk get the better end of it, we won by 15 points. Uh, He had a better stat line than Ben Simmons. And I believe he played something like 10 less minutes than Ben Simmons. This was the second straight ass kicking we've handed the 76ers. And there's also that screenshot out there of how the Blazers were defending Simmons literally below the foul line while he's still, you know, a couple feet in front of the the three point line, just daring him to, to shoot at, at his leisure uh, to me that, I mean, and then Nurk was also quoted. Um, let me pull this up right quick. Because he wasn't holding back. You know, some guys will do their talking on the court and then, you know, kind of keep it to themselves when asked by the media. But uh, Casey was asking uh, questions to Nurk. And he says, I think I'm a better shooter than him. I mean, I'm for sure a better shooter. The way he's able to shoot or not able to shoot is ridiculous. So shots fired. Nurkic at Simmons. Um, I, I fucking love it. I, you know I love- me, Doug. I love, I love shit that shit. The petty yeah. season is upon us in Rip City. Yeah, dog. Like, I get it. I, I get it a lot with, like, you know, people wanting to have a positive yada, yada, yada bullshit. This is, a, this is where, like, emotions and, yo, it's a competition. It's a competition with two fantastic players. I don't give a fuck. If you can get in the head of your opponent... That's a bonus for you. And I used to be competitive in Madden or and 2K. I used to talk uh, outrageous amounts of shit and get into people's heads, and then they would get all in their feelings and lose. That's there are some people like Gary Payton and Kevin Garnett that will just get in people's heads and f- screw them up. And for me, if I ever get in your head. I'm winning every single time because that memory of me getting in your head is going to come back in a clutch moment. So I love shit talking. Give me all the shit talking you want. Nurkage, I got you, bro. It's ridiculous. Yo, man. If we wanted nothing but choir boys that wouldn't talk any shit, we wouldn't, like, we wouldn't That's be no renting. Fun. We wouldn't be renting headspace in Golden State's heads, fucking Ben Simmons' heads. Who else have we fucked with in the last few weeks, man? Like that shit's wonderful. Too bad we don't play the Philadelphia Sixers again this year. Like I don't give. A f- like that's fantastic. Do your thing, Nurk. Do your thing, doggy. So Evan Turner is out. He is out again against the Cavaliers. The left knee soreness. We don't obviously, need him for that game. Obviously, that that means we're we're gonna see the rotations probably go from ten to nine. I think it gives Jake more time, twenty plus minutes. 
But do you think do you think this is a blessing or a curse right now for the Blazers? I think it's a blessing, man. You get to see what I think it gives Dame and CJ both their turns to be that guy. The only way I could see it as a negative is if one gets into foul trouble. But if they stay out of foul trouble, they're each going to have their turn to be the guy. And we've we've talked about them being so similar. Now they at least get the chance to be that dude. And I think I've seen CJ pass it more in the last few days. So if he's willing to give you know his teammates the ball a little bit more, I I, I don't see any problems with it. And it's Cleveland Cavaliers. They're one of the worst defensive teams in the NBA, man. So like if if Evans out this game, it does not affect us at all. If we lose, there's a problem. Are we worried at all by by Dame's recent shooting struggles? No. Because if you look at the the box score, 5 of 21 from the field, 2 of 9 from 3 against Brooklyn, I think he did a little bit better job of distributing. Uh, Only took 10 shots, hit 5. and four of the five shots he missed were from three, but he did hand out eight assists and pulled down six rebounds. Again, he only needed to play 30 minutes to beat the 76ers, but it, it just feels like Dame has been feast or famine this month from three. You know, you look, he was... It's been this year, though, bro. He hasn't really had a dominant game, but, well, you know, the Fantastic is thing is we haven't needed him to be all world for these wins no and i think that that's a good thing anytime you can win when your best player hasn't been up to par but at the same time he's still a top 10 player in the league and we're still going to need lillard time to surface in april in the postseason Mm -hmm. I I, mean, I'm just, I'm I, I trust you... that his shit's gonna fall. Like he he's too good not to get it right. I mean, yo, you're shooting a small object into a thing 25 feet away. Sometimes the shit doesn't fall, and but he's contributing in all other aspects. Like he's getting dimes, he's getting boards, he's playing defense. The shoot, the shot will fall. You saw you saw it on the yo. He was pulling up from the logo in the All Star game. Obviously, he can still shoot. So. I'm 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 rolling. I gotta trust him that he'll get his shit right for when we actually need it to be right. Games against Brooklyn and blowouts against Philly. It is what it is, man. Our team, our team played well. I completely agree, and I do trust him with the game on the line. But all I'm saying is, in February against the Heat, two of ten. Against the Spurs, zero of seven. Against the Mavericks, six of eleven. Against the Thunder, three of eight. Against the Warriors, 6 of 8 when he was unconscious. And then, again, these last two performances, 2 of 9, Brooklyn, 1 of 5 against Philadelphia. All I want to see, and this has been January as well. Like, I'm not going to go all the way down, mm. but he's been he's been rough. Rough from 3 this year. Um, just shy of under 37%. And so, I, I, and it's not the shot selection. I think in years past you could criticize him from shooting from the logo a little bit too much. I'm seeing teams like not bring when Portland runs the pick and roll, the help is, is they're playing off. So he is, he got multiple open looks, especially against Brooklyn. So again, 
I just want to make sure we're the strongest team possible come come playoff time. And I think Dame hitting from from distance is obviously going to open up the offense that much more. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. But I can't be worried about it because you know, even when the shit doesn't go well, he still contributes. It's not like you're playing with the scoring. It, it's not like Dame's scoring dependent now. Like he, Dame's getting rebounds and steals and all the other ancillary stats to scoring. So at least he's contributing. So I, I, I'm not worried about it yet. Are you worried about how much Jake Lehman is going to command in the open market? <laughs> so I've been trying to do these rebuilds on 2K and it's like, He's getting eight mil every year on the deadline, dude. He's been fucking outrageously good. He he deserves his money. He might get more than the MLE or any of that shit. Like he could be an eight mil, nine mil guy, man, with how he's played. And people haven't caught up to how brilliant he's been this year. They're still catching up. There's like people in the, the DFS industry is like, why is Jake Lehman getting 30 or 25 or 30 minutes a game? People aren't, people aren't up on Jake yet. So he's still under the radar a little bit. Yeah. I think so. Let's continue to play this game throughout the season. But right now, you'd have to be okay giving him eight or nine mil. Yeah. I mean, that's your future starting small forward because Harkless more than likely is... He's not part of the future. He's going to be gone at, at during the summer of 2020, and... Jake Lamb is everything... He's on his last year, right? No, we got one more year of Harkless. Harkless was signed with Turner and Myers, so no, we got another year left. And Jake, to, to me, is everything you would want in a complimentary small forward mm-hmm. in, in this offense. He moves well without the basketball, is capable of shooting the, the open shot. He can create his own shot. He crashes the glass. And he's low he usage. Forth, yeah, he's low usage. Um, I'm looking up his and usage. He's a finisher. I think that's what this team has, has missed. It's just a guy who's going to come down the lane and you're going to, you better make a business decision. Otherwise, he's going to pack it on you. I think if we are running with this particular team, what we need in the small forward is somebody somebody that's going to be low usage because of how high usage our top three players are, and that's Nurk, Dame, and CJ. Like Those guys are the leaders in usage rate. So a guy like Jake and a guy like Al Farouk in regards to usage is perfectly complimentary for this team. We're not expecting Jake to be an all-star, but we what we are is him to hit an open shot and play some defense, which he's gotten better at, especially in the help side. He's still not the greatest at 1v1, but he's he's making plays. Remember that block he did against Brooklyn? Like he's doing shit. Oh yeah. Yeah, like so Eight million for a guy that's complimentary for us, I would do. I mean, yeah. shit, like MLE, full MLE, seven million. So are we saying Jake Lehman's just a little bit better than a mid-level player? I'm cool with it. You'd have to also believe that there's more potential yeah. for Jake as well. Like this is not his ceiling. All right, everybody, Dustin and Sage here with the Holy Backboard podcast, ready to predict some games on this upcoming road trip. Sage, the Blazers are an NBA best, 16-4 and against the Eastern Conference. 
I believe they now have 22 wins against teams with plus 500 records, which is uh, third or fourth best in the entire NBA. They are going to be tested this week. Four of the games are going to be against the Cavs on Monday, Celtics Wednesday, Raptors Friday, and another Sunday morning game against Charlotte on Sunday, which would just leave Memphis the following Tuesday to round out this road trip. So we're going to discuss four of the remaining five games on this road trip. Let's start with the Cleveland Cavaliers. And before we even get into that, all we wanted was a four and three road trip to be plus 500. Mm -hmm. The Blazers already got two in their bag. I thought Brooklyn was the most important because it's the first and they are kind of the wild card uh, of the bunch, given how many young assets they have. And you just never know how a team's going to play coming out of the All-Star break. Philly, I think we definitely received uh, opportunity. Opportunity was knocking. The Blazers let it walk right in. Joel Embiid was sidelined for up to a week. Portland took advantage of that. That was a huge victory because going in, when you're playing schedule maker and looking at wins versus losses – going all the way you know, down during preseason, you're not expecting to beat the 76ers. And that was even before they had a Jimmy Butler or, or Tobias Harris. Mm-hmm. So huge start for the Blazers. Let's see if they can get this momentum going. I think the Cleveland game is a trap game. Um, the Blazers play much better against teams with winning records. This game, this game worries me. Tell me why I shouldn't worry, Sage. Well, Kevin Love's made the team. Kevin Love's back, and he's made the team respectable yeah like larry nance doesn't get the stats he once did but the team plays better so it's kind of like a give and take like everyone's stats are worse because kevin loves there but like he makes them more competent um jordan clarkson's the guy that scares me off the bench for the Cavs because he, he he's one of those guys that just is a shoot first guard that we've had trouble with defending that's the one guy i i would he did just score 42 points but right before the all-star break yeah, he's, he can get biz he's get he gets biz bro and yo, know, like off the bench that type of production is pretty crazy um tristan's gonna be tristan's out right tristan's out john henson's out and jr smith is obviously still not with the team so they don't have a big that can contend with nurkic and enos in the post. I think that's going to be a big uh, plus in our matchup versus them. And I mean, Colin Sexton isn't a defender yet. I mean, yo, you've seen how Cav veterans have talked about how Trey Young was going to be the MVP or the rookie of the year, how Luka Doncic is the rookie of the year. It's they're addressing the fact that he can't play defense. But if you look at like plus minuses, like damn near every Cavs player is a negative, super negative defender. So that 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 defense is just gonna ha- give no resistance to the Blazers trying to do whatever the Blazers want to do in the game. So we're winning this game just based on we can't we can't let this team win because man, like West is so compressed with talent and wins. This is the one of the easiest matchups we could possibly get. We're going to win this game. It's just, are they going to fuck with our emotions? Or are they going to beat the shit out of them like they should? So what gives me pause for concern is of those four losses against the Eastern Conference, three of them are to teams outside of the playoff picture right now. Twice to Miami, once to Washington. 
and you look at the Cavaliers. They, they've won two straight. They are 14 and 46 overall, which is the third worst record in the league. They're, they're not trying to win. They want a, as many chances at Zion Williamson as they possibly can. Can we talk but, about that later, too? Yes, but they are 9 and 22 at home. That, that's not a great record, but they're winning about once every three times they play in, in Cleveland. So there is a little bit of a pause for concern. What gives me hope outside of the fact that it's the Cavaliers, you have to respect every opponent, is they start a small backcourt. So they start Colin Sexton and Brandon Knight. And that plays right into the hands of of Damon CJ. Portland's not giving up, you know, really anything height-wise on the defensive end when we play our backcourt. For me, I I think we are going to need Damian Lillard to show his leadership abilities right now. I think we will really see just how locked in this team is they've gone through stretches this year where you think they've turned the corner into more of an elite team, but then they will kind of get smacked down to earth. Just like we saw at Dallas, just like we saw against Miami at home where they didn't come out ready to play or in the case with the Mavericks ready to finish that one off. As is the case when you play a really terrible team where you have a major talent upgrade and you're you're just mu- you're just so much better than the other team. You have to kill their confidence early mm-hmm. on, and that's where I look for Dame to really take over. Whether he feels like it, it's getting to the bucket or shooting the three himself, or getting Nurkic involved. I believe they start um, Ante Zizic um, at center, so he he's a young big who's got potential, but. Again, Nurk and Cantor should really help us dominate the glass. I think if Portland dominates the glass and they limit the Cavs to, to one, one look and turnovers. Turnovers are going to be huge. Portland has done a really nice job lately of keeping control of the ball. They should win. I thought this was a win before the road trip. Uh, I think it should be a win now. I do think they'll fuck with our emotions a little bit, but I think Portland wins maybe by 9 or 10 points. So... Up next is the Boston Celtics, a game that got moved to ESPN. I think you could make a case that the Celtics are the most disappointing team across the entire association. They're sitting at fifth right now in the Eastern Conference, 37 and 23. They are home dominant, 23 and 8 at home. They have lost two straight, however. Um, I believe they just had a pretty embarrassing loss. Do you know who that was to, Sage? They lost to Milwaukee. Um, let's see. Let's see. I want to say Orlando too. Is that right? Orlando's been killing it. They lost to Detroit. Oh no, they beat Detroit. They beat Philly. Shit. Bulls. They got murdered oh, in yes. Chicago by 13 points or by 10 points this is a team you you don't know what you're going to get and for me the x factor is al horford uh boston plays so much better when big al is is able to really he's a skilled guy that doesn't get a lot of hype when he is able to assert his, his skill and what i mean by that is he's able to do the dirty work down low but where he really thrives is cutting off the guard on defending the pick and roll. He does a fantastic job of hedging, and he can stretch the floor by shooting the three. Um, 
this one, if you Portland hasn't played Boston since I believe early November, and it was mm-hmm. a game Portland almost blew. Um, Jason Tatum kind of started going off, but Chief hit those two big threes down the stretch. We won 100 to 94. I'll take Dame head to head against Kyrie mm-hmm. anytime. Um, but the Garden, we just have not won in the. I can't remember the last time we won in in Boston Garden. He's assisting at like Nurk level of assisting that like in this year he's almost at tw- like he's a big part of that offense man he he assists on like twenty percent of all Celtics points like he he's he has the ball in his hands he, he's a very skilled player man so we, we can't we, keep him like we can't treat him lightly um person who scares me is obviously Jason Tatum. That that guy has a lot of moves. For most of the year, we've been one of the worst teams at defending small forwards. So he's a uh, he's a guy that scares me. But Morris brothers, we're playing a Morris brother, bro. We gotta we watch are. Marcus Marcus Senior. Man, he's a bad boy. And I don't know. Like, do you think Jalen Brown's good? Yes, his role, he's he doesn't have a role though. Oh, Terry Rozier does not have a role. Like, imagine leading your team within one game of the NBA Finals, and then being told, "Oh, sorry, you might not be starting. You're probably our fifth or sixth option now." Um, you know, th- thanks. You know, you did a great job, but these two dudes who were injured are now coming back, and they're definitely not better than you. But we're gonna play them just just because they make more than you. Like, mm. and then, man, Danny Danny Ainge and Brad Stevens just botched that oh oh and by the way you're going to be in trade rumors all year all year round and next year too yeah so in the summer factor all of this in there and then you're not getting any fucking leadership from Kyrie Irving I mean I can't think of one of the more I just don't think he's he's a great leader Uh, his his comments don't um, invoke any sense of, of team or culture or man I really want to go to bat for that guy I want to I want to win in Boston because I know Kyrie is there. I, I just, I don't see that with Irving. I think he's always going to be a Robin to somebody else's Batman. I think leadership wise, absolutely. Do you think they're getting that leadership from big Al? They would have I mean, to. I, I think he's whatever is holding this team together. It is Al Horford. So I, I saw something on Twitter and I'm not able to, um, credit the user because I, I didn't save the tweet, so I apologize. But I think it was something like when Aaron Baines plays 20 plus minutes, the Celtics are 15 and two. So he's kind of like their Seth Curry. When Seth Curry scores nine points plus, we're undefeated. So that's another player to kind of keep an eye on. But I kind of have a good feeling about this game. I think it could go either way. But if Portland does beat Cleveland, we'd be three and zero heading heading into this performance. Um, I think this could be a game where our bench kind of carries us just because, you know, you've got vets, you've got Rodney Hood and his canter. And then you bring in Jake Lehman, who's always there to bring a, a huge momentum block, a big time dunk. And then don't sleep on my X factor, Maurice Harkless. He showed me a lot these past two games. If he can just even minimize Tatum's impact or even better, just go at Gordon Hayward when he's in the game. Portland can scrap out this performance. So I think I think Portland wins close, but uh, the way Boston's reeling, I think now is the time to attack them. That's a very good point. Um, 
does Boston play before us? Oh. I honestly think we win. It doesn't really matter. I just think it's going to be a gritty, gritty game. Yes. But they do? They play, um, so Portland actually lucks out a bit. They play in Toronto um, Tuesday so that we catch them on the second night of a back-to-back. Yeah, that, I think we win. And, uh, man, they're going to be bumped and bruised going against Toronto and then us game after the next game, man, with how big our team is now. Yeah, they're they're taking the L. And then don't we play Toronto next? Yeah, so we play Toronto Friday, March 1st. Uh, Kawhi did not play today, and they took a big-time loss against the Magic at home. So they lost at home. Um, but the Raptors are still the second-best team in the Eastern Conference, 44-17. and 17, Very home-dominant. Even with the loss at home today, they're still 25-6, and six, which is the third-best in the entire association. I wouldn't expect... Kawhi or Lowry to rest, and they have just acquired uh, Mark Gasol, so it'll be a, a and new Jeremy look. Lin. and Jeremy Lin, so it'll be a, a definitely a, a different look from the last time the Blazers saw the Raptors, which um, I believe was on December fourteenth. We won one twenty eight, one twenty two. No Kyle Lowry in that game, but Kawhi did play. Uh, Kyle Lowry is not part of that offense, bro. No, but but like Boston, Toronto is an arena where it's been four or five years. I think L.A. put up like a 30-20 piece last time we beat. The, it's just a tough Oh, that's tough a tough venue. one. Yeah, man. yeah, and I believe this is another ESPN game, so another time for the Blazers to, to show out. But I you know Kyle Lowry is going to be excited to play on ESPN and all that shit, even though like if you look at him, he went from MVP candidate to not part of the offense at all. They got, yo, they, I mean, they got Spicy P, Pascal Siakam, they got OG Anube, they got, they got fucking players that like Norman Powell, who was like an $8 million guy, isn't even in the rotation anymore. That team is stacked. It is stacked. They do start small. They start a Baca. So I think yeah. if Portland is going to win, it's going to be Nurkic. Obviously, they can bring Mark Gasol in, which can kind of neutralize what Portland wants to do on, on that end of the floor. But you're not to me, you're not going to go 7-0 on the road. Toronto, I think, is the, the best team mm-hmm. of the bunch that we've played. I think it's just asking too much for Portland to beat the Raptors in Toronto. I honestly would be just stoked if we make this uh, a photo finish. I'm going to give the nod to the Raptors just because I would find it very unlikely that they lose twice in one week at home. Um, like like you said, they just have a really deep bench. Bench guys play better at home. If I'm going to say the bench is going to win us the game in Boston, I think they have to re- regress a little bit to the mean um, so for those reasons, I, I like the Raptors in this one. I like the Raptors as well. I mean, that team's fucking well-oiled machine, man. But if you're four and one, you'll and take you've it. Got two, two road games left. You are taking it, and that sets up. I think, even though I'm predicting a loss in Toronto, and we have Boston on the docket, the most difficult game of the road trip of this week. It's going to be a Sunday morning contest at 10 a.m. local time 
against the Charlotte Hornets. Yes, we beat the Hornets by 31 points in Portland different back on, Janu- team. on January 11th. But teams play different at home, and the and the and the Hornets are Exhibit A. They are 20 and 10 at home. So just like the Cavs were winning one out of every three, they're winning two out of every three. And Kemba is one of the handful of players in the league that can get you 50. He can carry them alone to a victory. And so Portland is going to have to be in the right state of mind to go get ready to go to work. Because this is a team that I think if you look back, they could hand you an L. So – um, they're starting Miles Bridges over Jeremy Lamb now, so Lamb's off the bench, and like when he's playing, he, no one else is there, so he he's usage rate cra- crazy. Um, we played the Hornets when Zeller was out, and you're thinking to yourself, Zeller's not that special, but what Zeller is is a very good scene screen setter, and Kemba Walker does his best work in the pick and roll. There was like a 10% drop-off from when Zeller was off the court and on the court in regards to the pick-and-roll. So now that he's back, that pick-and-roll is going to be a lot more powerful and scary to defend. They're new that that them now versus when they played, they haven't made many roster changes, but they've made they've gotten healthier. And Campbell Walker can absolutely score in the pick and roll so it's a it's a it's gonna be a very scary game for us man it's gonna be a lot of pick and roll heavy defense and i hope nurkic is ready for that task so i think this is where portland is able to win the game it's in the paint and it's exactly what we did against the 76ers we out rebounded them we took second chance opportunities and when they came over to double we were cutting and moving without the basketball and getting easy looks i don't think we win this game from shooting 30 35 threes like we need to make charlotte defend play smart basketball and you know kemba's going to get his can you neutralize everyone else you know i think that that will be clutch for portland it looking at who they started just recently against the Brooklyn Nets, which they did lose by, by two at home, you know, they're, they're starting a pretty small um, kind of forwards. They're big. Marvin in the back plays court. so many fucking minutes. Holy shit. They're, they're big in the backcourt with, with Kemba and bridges, but you know, Batum and Marvin Williams at the three, four, I mean, that's kind of where Portland's at with Aminu and Harkless. So I think the key is Nurk and Zeller can Nurk just eat. And then if Cantor comes in, can he eat on Biombo? And I sure as hell hope so. Yeah, this is the, he, we really need him to go on Bismack Biombo. So just like Boston, I think our bench is going to they're going to provide you know a fifteen to three run, and I think the starters are going to take it home. I, this is the scariest game to me, but I think we get a good crucial third quarter run and the Blazers, you know, take it home in the fourth, but do not be surprised if we come on next week and we're talking about a loss against Charlotte. Like, I hope that's not the case, but this team is better than their record, especially at home. Mm -hmm. And you cannot, cannot underestimate the start time for this game. Yeah. Yo, Kemba's legit, especially with Zeller, man. And, they got guys that can score. 
I mean, Kemba obviously, Malik Monk could still get biz. They, Tony, they, Tony Parker had thirty in their last game. Yeah, like they, they're they have guys that can score. I mean, Marvin Williams could hit you for five threes in a night. Like Batum's not going to do much because he's washed. But like, there are people that can score. It isn't just an easy bummy team that we would just beat just because of our talent. We're gonna have to work for this one. I think we win, but again, like you said. They're they're a tough team. So we both have Portland going three and one this week. I think even two and two would be fantastic because then you've got Memphis on Tuesday, which absolutely has to be a must victory. And if you're looking at a five and two road trip, you take that and are elated. But Mm -hmm. the possibility of being six and one or seven and oh, I mean, Portland, if, if they have an opportunity and they find themselves within striking distance and a legit chance to win. Not every game you play, you have a legit chance to win as the game goes on. We've been on both ends uh, of blowouts. Mm. But if you're in it and Portland's able to start closing out these close games or even making them blowouts, they are going to like where they're seated come playoff time. And speaking of that, we have a two-game lead over Houston for fourth, three if you factor in the tiebreaker, but we are within striking distance of OKC. They have the tiebreaker over us, but we're only two back in the last column. Sage, is it is it too early to start looking at the potential playoff matchups? And if not, who who do you who do you project? I mean, obviously it's February, but who are you projecting? Where are you projecting Portland to land? And who do you think they would be playing? In that three four swing. One of those two. Um shit, who Who is the projected uh five six people so right now you have golden state one denver two oklahoma city three portland four houston five utah six san antonio seven and the clippers are at eighth but you have the kings and lakers and timberwolves kind of nipping at the heels of los angeles and san antonio i honestly think that I would prefer the Houston Rockets, and the reason why is because James Harden has put up elite numbers without Chris Paul. Elite. Playing 40 minutes a night, just dominating the ball. Like, there was a stat that said he didn't have an assisted basket in, like, a month. Like, he is doing some fantastic stuff offensively. That is going to affect him in the playoffs, using all that energy, playing all those minutes for a team, keeping them in the playoff race. I mean, they're fifth. He's going to be gassed once it comes playoff time. I would want to play the Houston Rockets. I mean, if if possible, I want to see the San Antonio Spurs. Oh, the petty factor. Yeah, absolutely. Petty, I think just straight talent factor. I, I don't think anybody is really scared of LaMarcus Aldridge and Jamar DeRozan in, in April, May. I, I don't think anybody in the NBA is up late at night losing sleep the thought of playing the San Antonio Spurs. Um, there's no Duncan. There's no Manu. There's no Parker. There's no Kawhi. It, it's, this, this franchise is on the decline. I, I think anybody who has watched them this year can, can see that happening. Unfortunately, they're going to have to make a little bit of a jump because there's no way Portland's catching Denver or Golden State. And so if you're the Blazers and you're obviously a Blazer fan, if you're listening to this podcast, there's a couple of things to keep an eye on. And the first one that really caught my eye today as I caught the end of the Nuggets Clippers broadcast 
is the Nuggets are only one game behind the Warriors for first out West. If you're Portland, you want to do whatever it takes to get out of the Golden State side of the bracket. I mean, everything goes through the Bay Area, but you'd rather play them in the Western Conference Finals than in the Western Conference Semifinals. So that's something to keep an eye on as you're as you're looking at the standings. Like, oh, I really wish we could catch the Thunder for the third seed because that means you know we would get a better, uh, easier opponent, so to speak, in the first round, and then we would get Denver. There's it's obviously so long to project that out there, but just watch that, and then also look below because if you're Portland, who do you who do you want to play? Because I think it's probably going to come down to three teams. It's going to come down to Houston, Utah, or San Antonio. Um, the Kings had a huge win last night in Oklahoma City. I think eighth seed is what they're maxing out at, and then obviously I think the wild card is the Los Angeles Lakers. Can they make a push? I don't think they'll be higher than the seventh seed. And obviously if I'm saying Portland can't get to the two seed, I don't see any way Portland's playing the Lakers in the first round. So I think you're really looking in at three teams right now, Houston, which Portland is two and one against Utah. They split the four meetings and then San Antonio, Portland has a two, one advantage over the Spurs right then and there. So you're saying Houston. Yes. I mean, I, I honestly would feel confident against all of those teams. I probably wouldn't want to face Houston just because of my disdain for Harden and Paul, and I just don't know if I want to watch another series of just whistles. But they they are using a lot of gas, mm-hmm. a lot of rocket fuel mm-hmm. to stay where they are right now. Um, but again, a lot has to take place. If you're Portland and you want to move up to that third seed, Denver and OKC play each other in Denver on Tuesday. If Portland were to beat the Cavaliers and the Thunder were to lose, what do you know? Portland is only one game back. And who does Portland see the first game back after that seven-game road trip? The Oklahoma City Thunder. So there is definitely opportunity for Portland to move up to give them a better opportunity in that first round. Sage, why don't we wrap up on Zion Williamson before we close out this podcast? I I was watching with that game had so much hype. First of all, like when moms know about the game, or like when people that don't watch college basketball know about the game, there's some hype to it. And to see Zion Williamson go out on that first first minute of the game, I feel like it destroyed Duke's whole vibe that game, man. I know you were you were with coworkers and stuff, but did you see the the injury and the the shoe just blowing up? Yeah, they had the game on at the bar we were at, so we were watching it. And you know, it was you know, it cost twenty seven hundred dollars on the second hand market, second market um, to get to that game. First of all, it's like pay the fucking players. This is absolutely absolutely. What if that shit uh, actually hurt Zion to the point where it like it fucked up his career he becomes you know a dominating force in college but doesn't get shit money wise come on son do you think he will i i I think he's gonna come back and play do you think he will i think i would say yes but you saw Kyrie when he played with duke once he got hurt he did not come back that year so there's a precedent for just elite prospects holding out 
and not playing. So if it was me and it was my son, I would tell him to chill until the you know the summer league because he's he's shown enough to be in a tier by himself in draft boards. You know what I'm saying? He has, and I don't think. I don't think there's a right or wrong decision. I think whatever he decides, whatever is he the feels comfortable with, yeah. Decision. I think Charles Barkley had the best point though when he said, "We're when he's talking about himself and all other basketball players. We are basketball players. This is what we do. We love playing basketball. That's what he went to Duke for was to play and to play in March Madness and to win a national championship. Don't take." what bonds he has built with his teammates for for granted because I was watching the Syracuse game and he was in the stands or in on the sidelines with his teammates and he was he was in that game mentally he was in that game and so to me that's a sign of a player who plans on coming back I think had the injury been more serious he definitely holds out um, but again, whatever the kid wants to do, let him do it. If he wants to come back and play for his teammates, that doesn't make him any more of uh, a teammate than if he wants to really uh, control his career and wait till the draft. Mm-hmm. And if he wants to go to the draft, it doesn't make him an asshole. Like there, there's there's no wrong decision for him right now. Where what tier of player do you see Zion Williamson being, or have you watched him enough to make that distinction? I still don't know. I mean. He reminds me a lot of Larry Johnson when Larry came out of UNLV and he kind of took the NBA by storm for a couple of years, but then he just back injuries killed him, bro. Yeah. He kind of faded out. I do. It's going to be tough for him because I think he's going to face weight issues his entire career just because he's built like a football player. There's a lot of mass there. And when you play 82 games over the course of 15 year career, you start to, your body just starts to break down inevitably. Yes, modern medicine is at its peak right now. Yes, the science between, you know, physical therapy and training, the sports around it, the sports science around it is is top notch. But I do think he's going to have to lose a little bit of that mass. And when he does that, he's going to have to be able to compensate with maybe more of a finesse jump shot here Mm. and there. Like you look at players like like MJ. He went straight off of athleticism, and then when his second go round after coming back from the Birmingham Barons, he was you know post up jump shooter. You know he'll dunk on you once in a while, but it wasn't just like you know taking flight like he was in the dunk contest. So he was able to adapt. Is Zion going to be able to do that? Because right now he doesn't really have a, a dominant jump shot. He's really kind of either Ben Simmons or you know Giannis that type of mentality where he's just going to the lane and getting buckets. So it'll be interesting. I'm. I'm not saying he's going to be a bust, but I don't think he's this surefire Hall of Fame player that everyone's making him out to be. I think he's a fantastic college player, and he's really brought a lot of excitement to hmm. the season this year. But I look—I even look at the guy like Ben Simmons, and I'm like, I don't know how long he's going to be around if he cannot even get a, a jump shot. I know it's not to that point with, with Zion, but... He's gonna sooner or later have to be able to 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 make changes to his game. And Ben Simmons has had passing like you you. I remember you and I like talking about this on this podcast where it was like this dude's vision is crazy. I'm not saying Zion doesn't have the vision, but he doesn't hasn't needed to show it off like Ben did with LSU. Um, I think 
Zion right now is in a tier of his own, and but I think that Ja Mornet is also very good for Murray State. Those yep. are my top two guys, and then I think Cam Reddish and RJ and uh, the guy from Texas Tech are in a tier below. But yeah, I think you're almost at the point where you have to take Zion if he comes out and he's yeah, number one. Absolutely, absolutely. But like, I paid kind of special attention to Zion and Jaw just because, you know, a certain unibrow guy doesn't seem to like it in New Orleans anymore. So I've had to pay attention to the draft. I think Zion's in a tier by himself, but Jaw's very, very, very good. Whew. That was a heater, but I think it's time to wrap it up. Uh, it's almost dinner time, so getting kind of hungry. Absolutely, bro. Same here. So... Uh, Great episode as always. Hopefully we're talking next week about another dominant week from our Trailblazers out on the road. Sage, any last words? Um, fuck with us. Um, if you know a Blazer fan that would like realness and not fake optimism, share this podcast with them on some real shit. Like person to person sharing of the show is like, it's more powerful than just like some social media shit. Like actually telling someone, hey, I enjoy this show. That shit rules. And if you do fuck with us, like and subscribe and leave a nice comment. And that will show that you're a real one and we appreciate you. But if you, if you're listening at this point, you're already a real one for listening to about an hour of some pretty nerdy blazer stock. So thank you. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night. Everybody, let's go! Let's go.